All right. Um, turn to the Gospel of Mark. Has everybody had a good, good day? Yeah. It feels like the weather is transitioning to yeah. the fall. It was really no, clear today. Not a good day. Not a good day for you? I got in trouble. Oh. Well, because don't do don't do bad. I've been power washing the house all day, so I probably smell like bleach and Clorox. Let me pray and uh, let me just do a short prayer and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you again for your word. We pray that you would um, bless us with more understanding of who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In 2009, an army soldier walked off his post in Afghanistan. His name is Bo Bergdahl. I don't know if y'all remember this or not. Walked off his post, just went AWOL, walked off his mission, and was captured by the Taliban. And for five years, he stayed in captivity and was tortured. And after five years, the government did his prisoner exchange where he got to come back home. What would happen if Bo Bergdahl wanted to rejoin his unit? No. Not going to happen, right? His fellow soldiers and officers would be absolutely not. And through his leaving his post, six soldiers died trying to find him he would absolutely not be able to rejoin his unit. Tonight we're going to go through the writings of a man who did just that, who left his friends and his post and was shown remarkable grace by those he had abandoned in the middle of a mission. And then we're going to see actively worked against them in the Council of Jerusalem. Tonight we're going to cover the Gospel of Mark, but before we do that, I want to touch on the grace of God and the power of the gospel shown to Mark that led him in his writing the gospel, his gospel. First, when do we first hear about Mark? Actually, turn, before we go to Mark, let's look at the book of Acts. Turn to Acts chapter 12. And it's kind of confusing because you have Mark, sometimes he's called John, sometimes he's called John Mark. So, Based on where we're at, it's, this is all the same person. In Acts chapter 12, Herod is persecuting the church. He just killed James, the brother of John, and Peter is next to die. But the church in Jerusalem prayed, and the angel of the Lord frees Peter, and he escapes. And where does he go? He goes to Mary, the mother of Mark. John Mark, as he's referred to. Look at Acts 12, verse 12. When he realized this, is Peter. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where, the, where many were gathered together and were praying. So this is the first time we hear about Mark in the Bible. Okay? Mark must have impressed Paul and Peter and Barnabas because they take Mark on their first missionary journey to Cyprus to preach the gospel to the Jewish synagogues. So look at, go to the next chapter, Acts 13, verse 5. So their own mission Mark is brought on mission with these titans of the faith, Paul, Peter, and Barnabas. Barnabas is his cousin, Mark's cousin. Acts 13.5, it says, When they arrived in Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God, as synonymous with the gospel, in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John, which is Mark here, okay, to assist them. Then the group encountered a Gentile proconsul 
who was accompanied by this false prophet magician. Look at verse 6. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Sounds like a false prophet, Bar-Jesus. Come on. Make it a little bit less obvious here. He was with the proconsul of Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Again, the gospel. But Bar-Jesus, or Elamus, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul, but Saul, who's also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit, villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for some time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Verse 12, Then the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. This magician, it, he sounds like Grimma um, Wormtongue from Lord of the Rings, like this little parasite person that's with the king, leading the king astray, and giving misdirection. God blinds this magician, and God saves Sergius Paulus, a Gentile. And that's going to be important here in a second. Paul tells Sergius Paulus that salvation is by faith, trusting in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And through this exchange, there's no mention of circumcision, no going under the law because Jesus fulfilled the law so that you can put your faith and trust in him for your righteousness. Look at Acts 13, 12. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Okay, so things are going good. They're on this mission together, Paul, Peter, Barnabas, and Mark, and a great win happens. They, this proconsul, Sergius Paulus, this Gentile, comes to know Jesus on their first mission. And what happens next is shocking. The timing of it is strange and puzzling. So let's look at this. Paul, I'm sorry, Mark decides to take it up and go home. The timing of Mark's desertion gives us a clue as to poss as possibly why he left. Look at verse 13. Now Paul and his companions uh, set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John, again, who's Mark here? This is Mark. Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. It's strange that Mark leaves Paul, Peter, and cousin Barnabas after a great win. Mark does a, a bow bird doll and leaves his post. After assisting them through the whole island as far as Paphos, Mark defects, goes back to his mom's house in Jerusalem. And if you're Paul, you're thinking, you witness all these things, this miracle, this magician going blind, God miraculously saving and serves Paul as a Gentile, and now you want to leave? You're abandoning us. We need you, Mark, and you're going to go home. Mark might have thought, like the Galatians, that Gentiles must take on Jewish customs before becoming Christians. 
So let's, let's do a little detective work. Based on the information in Acts 15 that we're going to get to, the timing of his departure could have been because of what I just said. He, he was offended by the idea that this Gentile could go straight to being a Christian without first becoming a Jew. He just goes, just bypass, nothing, just, just becomes a saint, pagan to saint, without becoming a Jew first. One commentary says, Paul and Barnabas did the unthinkable. They welcomed the Gentile into the kingdom of God without requiring he become a Jewish God-fearer first. Mark watched as Paul pronounced, by faith in Jesus Christ, Sergius Paulus had gone from pagan to saint without first becoming a Jew. Mark possibly thought, how could this Gentile ruler go from pagan to saint without circumcision or going into the Mosaic law? Because of that, Mark abandoned the mission. He returned to his home, and we're going to later see possibly fuels controversy as they sought to undermine Paul and Peter and Barnabas in Jerusalem. And we're going to get to this. We know this because of Acts 15. Actually, turn to Acts 15. We're going to get back to the Gospel of Mark in a second. I'm just trying to give you a preference of why this is awesome that the Gospel of Mark exists. So look at Acts 15. This is in Jerusalem where Mark left to go back to after leaving the mission, going AWOL. Verse 1. But some men, and again, Mark might have been more than likely in this, in this mix here, at least the key witness to their accusations, came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Talking about the Gentiles. These Gentiles are going to be saved. It's circumcision. It's going to the custom of Moses. Now, what did Mark witness back in on the mission in Cyprus? Paul, Peter, and Barnabas are teaching just the opposite of what these guys in Jerusalem are claiming they shouldn't do. Mark has first-hand experience of Paul, Peter, and Barnabas teaching just the opposite when they shared the gospel to the Gentile Sergius Paulus in chapter 13. Again, you see this flow of sequence of events which, gives, which leads me to the idea that Mark might have not understood exactly salvation by grace through faith. And that's it. He's offended by this idea this Gentile could just get right into the faith. So he leaves. Acts 15, verse 2. And after Paul and Barnabas, so Barnabas, they're all in this, they're all in Jerusalem at this council. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. I love that, there's no small. It's big, okay? The opposite of this is, it's, it's, it's a big blowout. Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So there's no doubt this group got their info possibly from Mark after he returned to Jerusalem. Mark had first-hand experience of hearing Paul and Peter's gospel message to the Gentiles. Like, tell us, Mark, what did you witness these guys, Paul and Peter, telling the Gentiles? Like, Paul just declared that this Gentile, Sergius Paulus, was saved by grace through faith. Mark might have heard something like Paul said in Galatians 3.21 come out of Paul's mouth when he shared the gospel with the Gentiles. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from law, although the law and prophets bear witness to it. 
Mark must have been confused at the very least, if not hostile, against Paul, Peter, and Barnabas' message. And we see this. We see that, uh, look at Acts 15.5. Some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them, them being the Gentiles, in order, in order them to keep the law of Moses. So this, again, this debate in Jerusalem between Paul, Peter, and Barnabas and these, these, men, of, these uh, men of Jerusalem. And after some debate, Peter shuts them down. Look at verse 4. When they, Paul, Peter, and Barnabas, came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. Again, that first missionary journey. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order them to keep the law of Moses. Verse 6. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together and considered this matter. And after there was much debate, Peter stood up and said, to them, brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the hearts, bore witness to them, giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he, and he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through grace in the Lord Jesus Christ just as they will, just as the Gentiles will. And all the assembly fell silent and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them in the Gentiles, possibly mentioning the magician going blind. Y'all see the connection here? These Judaizing believers get shut down. Mark must have looked foolish. I left. I got offended. I didn't understand the gospel fully here. And I went back to mom's house. And, and this is so good. I love this. This is so awesome. Mark's like, my bad. Can I return on mission with you guys? Okay. Either he was invited by Barnabas or he wanted to go back on mission with Paul and Peter and Barnabas. And look at Acts. Again, this is all playing out very like sequentially. Acts 15.37. Y'all see that? Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark. First of all, make up your mind. Just call him Mark. All right. This is, this is just, hmm. Barnabas wanted to take Mark back on the mission after Mark left, went AWOL, and decided to go back home. And you can imagine Paul being like, um, Barnabas, your cousin left us and was on the other side of this debate that happened in Jerusalem. Why would we bring him back to the mission? Look at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Like, go back to the people that they met on the first mission. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement. 
so that they, that so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Hey, Barnabas, hard passing your cousin. Like, I'm not bringing him again. He assisted us, and he left us. He's not, a li- he's not an asset. He's a liability. And I'm not, doing, I'm not going through that again. So what happened? So this is a broken relationship with Paul and Mark. And all of this is a preference to show that the gospel of Mark's existence is a testimony to the gospel of grace in Mark's life. So what happens next for Mark? Like Barnabas, Peter offered grace to Mark and took him as a sidekick. The Gospel of Mark primarily follows Peter's account of Jesus. Peter is the Gospel, the, Peter is the gospel of Mark's primary source. Okay, so let's, all that to say, I want you to appreciate this existence of the Gospel of Mark. Let's go to the Gospel of Mark, okay? And just hit the high notes here in a big picture form. The Gospel of Mark's theme is Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah's songs. Jesus is the suffering servant of Isaiah's songs. Matthew's theme is Jesus is the long-awaited genealogical king of the Jews. Luke is that God's salvation has arrived with the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. John's theme is Jesus is God and the Savior of the world. But Mark is focusing on, G- on Isaiah's promise of the suffering servant that will save, which is a hard idea for these Jews to understand. They wanted to get rid of the Romans. They didn't feel like they needed some servant to come on and take the yoke of the law on their behalf. Jesus came to carry the descendants of Abraham and all those who put their faith in him on his back, carrying them over the demands of God's law, ending with him dying for their sins. All throughout Isaiah, we read, the servant will be marred, beaten, wounded for their transgressions of his people. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned to their own, everyone has turned their own way. And the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. This is Isaiah 53, 6. His suffering will result in the sprinkling of many nations. Isaiah 52, and healing. So just going through a big picture of Mark chapter 1 through 7 develops this theme of first the theme of the suffering servant is portrayed and developed in showing Jesus as fulfilling what was prophesied in Isaiah's four suffering servant songs. One commentary says, beginning with Peter's confession of Jesus as the Messiah all the way to the passion itself, Jesus makes known the suffering and resurrection he must undergo for the redemption of sinners, while also revealing aspects of his identity. He manifests that although he is Lord and King, he is also ultimately a servant. Jesus does a lot of showing, not telling. He he communicates in two ways. He performs miracles, deeds that says, I'm God come to you. And he also says it explicitly toward the end there. Jesus heals the deaf man in Mark 7. He heals the blind man in Mark 8. He gives them life-sustaining food in a desolate land before they starve to death in Mark chapter 8. 
Jesus does these things primarily to show the disciples that he is the giver of life. He's God on earth coming to give everlasting life. But they don't get it. The disciples, they don't get it. Like eight chapters in, like they're still not getting it. They're still blind. They're still deaf. And they have not tasted the bread of life yet. Like Jesus doesn't does just do these things randomly. He does these things for a purpose to point to what he's come to do. You're blind, disciples. <laughs> you, need to, you need to see who I am and see who you are. You need to have your ears opened up. You need to take me as the bread of life, but they don't see it yet. And this is amazing. This is, look at Mark 8, 21. Mark 8, 21. And toward the end there, he says, Jesus says to them, after doing all these things, eight chapters in, Jesus says, do you not yet understand? It's just, it, it always, it's crazy to me. Okay? Do you not yet get it? Do you not yet understand? And this is amazing. This is why I love Jesus. One reason among many. Okay? He knows their minds. He knows their minds. He knows their doubts and stupidity. And he patiently walks with them through it. We need a Savior like that, right? Like, anybody do dumb things? Slow to believe? That's me, and I need a Savior like this. So I'm, I love seeing this. And the, but get this. Jesus has the power to fill their minds with sufficient information about who he is and what he came to do, but he bears with them in their faithless ignorance to show them that he is full of love and patience. Now, I know our Sunday school class, Sunday morning, has not seen this. You won't get this reference, but it's like Jesus could easily do some matrix-like thing where you plug them in, they get all the information they need, they know all the things that they need to do. He does miracles. He could, boom, snap his hand, just say it, and they know, can see who he is, but he shows his love and patience by bearing with them through their ignorance until they get it, which is beautiful. Finally, Peter gets it, and he confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Look at Mark 8, 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Again, this is, this is after miracles. This is after two feedings, feeding, feeding of the uh, 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, the Jewish setting. Who do they say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you're the Christ. Ding, you got it right. Check beside, start beside Peter's name. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So Peter's starting to understand who Jesus is, but not yet his purpose. Not the he doesn't understand the suffering servant part of Jesus' ministry. Look at Mark 8.31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said, he said this plainly. Again, showing that he does with the miracles and the telling. He says it plainly, explicitly. This is what I came to do. And Peter took him aside and began, again, it's shocking to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. So you get this juxtaposition. You see, 
Peter being a spokesman of Jesus, and, and the next minute he's a spokesman of Satan. It's like, that's what bad theology does. Just turn on a dime. Look at Mark 8, 34. And calling the crowd to him. Again, this is all flowing sequentially. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what is it, man, what is it profit of man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words is an adulterous and... Um, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man be, will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So, um, you know, Tiffany and I are building a house, and um, last week I sh- tried to share the gospel. I shared the gospel with one of our contractors. He's just a, he's a nice, good old boy. And, um, like, I'm asking him, like, you know, you go to church anywhere? Like, no, I don't, I don't go. You know, I believe in Jesus. You know, it's, it's kind of like everybody in the South has this kind of pet, personal pet Jesus in their pocket that they pull out to feel good about life, about themselves. And so I try to share the gospel. And, um, I, and I'm starting to do this more and more when I share the gospel. Like, I want to get to deny yourself. Like, he's not, you don't go to church. Like, going to church is not going to save you, but it's a, a low energy sign that you are, that Jesus is Lord of your life. When you plug into a local church and you're, you're serving and so I'm trying to help him see, like, no, you're not. Say your pet Jesus in your pocket is not going to save you. He's not Lord of your life. You're Lord of your life. You're Lord over your Sunday, not Jesus. There's no denying yourself. And that's what Jesus is saying to all of us, say to his hearers and us tonight, take up your cross and deny yourself. There's this cutting away decision you need to make to follow Jesus. Have you cut away from the world and are following Jesus? Continue on through Mark. Jesus shows, not tells, this in another big way. Look at Mark 9, verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured. Transfigured means you're transformed. He was transformed into something more glorious and elevated than previous form before them. And his clothes became radiant and intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. So all of Mark 1 through 8 is leading up to show that Jesus is superior to the law of Moses. He's superior to the prophets. Did the disciples listen to Moses? Absolutely, they did. Did the disciples listen to the prophets represented by Elijah here? They did. But God's message here is listen to him. Listen to Jesus as the final and ultimate revelation. 
Jesus predicts, moving on, Jesus predicts his death a second time. While in Galilee, Jesus says his ministry will lead to his death, which carries on this theme of the suffering servant. This time, he makes it abundantly clear that, verse, this is Mark 9, 31, he will be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. This action of being delivered to the hands of men displays surrender that Jesus exemplifies as a suffering servant of Isaiah. Following this prediction is a climax of the development of this suffering servant theme after the request of James and John to sit at the right hand of the Father. Remember that? Who's going to be the greatest? Going to sit there? Jesus openly and explicitly speaks of his nature as servant to mankind when he says, for, this is, this is Mark 10, 45, if you want to see it. Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man also came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom from many. This, this verse goes into the highlight reel of the book of Mark as it connects to Isaiah, this promise that is fulfilled. Christ came to earth for one ultimate purpose, for the redemption of the world. Jesus he rejected this idea that, just, let's just take on, these crowds want to make him king. Remember in John chapter 6, they all want to make him king by force? But his primary goal on earth was to, was to serve, which he did through the healing of the sick, raising the dead, teaching. However, he ultimately came to suffer and die in order to defeat sin and death on the cross and rise from the dead, standing as our justification for our forgiveness in access to God. The great reveal in Mark is that the king will be crushed. We have salvation by his service to us. Jesus serves us by carrying us over the tightrope of God's law to the other side. Isaiah 53 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. The first servant king, Adam, failed. The last servant king obeyed and kept fully the law so that we could receive the covenant blessing of eternal life. Leviticus 18.5 says, Do this, the law, and live. The gospel is, you live, now do. You live in Jesus. You taste the bread of life. He's made you spiritually alive out of gratitude and appreciation, do. Do the service that you, do the commandments that you're called to do. Out of life, you do them. This life is possible because the servant king did this and lives. And we live in him. We get this term all throughout the New Testament of in Christ. It's a covenantal term. If you're putting your faith in him, you're in this new covenant with him. And if you live in him, you've turned from your sins and you put your trust in the servant king, and you'll be saved. He suffered in service for the glory of God and for your salvation. Tonight, do you recognize what he's done? Or are you like the disciples in Mark chapter 8, verse 21, that still don't understand? Is Jesus saying, do you not yet understand? Do you not you understand who Jesus is, who you are, and what you need to do in, in faith and repentance to be saved? We're here tonight. This is why we do this on Wednesday nights. 
We go through the scripture, which is why we do this on Sunday morning, so that you guys will understand. We want to do our very best to unpack this so that you have a, a, an informed faith in why you should trust in Jesus. So he's not a stranger. Like, you haven't seen Jesus face to face. He's like a stranger if you're not wrestling with these truths. You're not seeing who he is and what he came to do. The disciples could not appreciate all that he's done until they got it. So in closing, in picking up the drama outside of this book, what happened to Mark's relationship with Paul? I imagine Peter could see himself in Mark after denying Jesus three times. Like, how can I not forgive Mark after I denied Jesus three times? Come on, Mark, you're my buddy, sidekick. Let's go on mission together. In fact, I got some things to tell you. You write it down. Barnabas was Mark's cousin, so, I mean, he's got his family ties. I've got to make Uncle Mary happy. Ain't Uncle Mary. Aunt Mary happy. But what about Paul's relationship with Mark? Remember in Acts 15.39 says, This disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was, quote, sharp disagreement so that they had, so that they separated from each other. Hey, Paul, you're not showing grace to Mark. Like, okay, he, he recognized he shouldn't have left. He left us kind of in a tight place. But he wants to go back with us. Come on, let's bring him all. Let's show him grace. Forgive him. And Paul's like, uh-uh, I'm not doing that. He's not an asset. He's a liability, and I'm not doing that anymore. It's a sharp disagreement. That's how bad it was. Like, like Barnabas, you're going to go... Take Mark, you're going to go along. I'm taking Silas, and we're going to go this way. You can go that way. Somebody was not applying the gospel to this situation. These two titans of the faith should not sharply disagree. When two believers are in conflict, one or if not both parties are not applying the gospel. After Mark leaves and possibly throws them, his mentors under the bus in this Jerusalem debate, it would seem impossible for reconciliation between Paul and Mark. But the gospel of Jesus reconciles us to God and each other if we apply it to the situation. And I, I, I love this. This is so good. I don't know how much time passed, but we read this grace-filled verse in 2 Timothy 4.11. 2 Timothy 4.11, if y'all want to read along, it's just a verse. Paul says... Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So this is Paul reaching out. Maybe there's a reconciliation before this verse happens, but at the very least, Paul is reaching out to say, hey, get Mark, bring him with me. He's very useful. Now, if you're Mark and you hear this after this sharp disagreement so strongly, offending Paul so bad that Paul wouldn't have anything to do with you? You just, I'm not, no way. That would bring tears to Mark's eyes, knowing that Paul wants him back. Paul has forgiven me. And Mark gets to become a gospel writer. Mark gets to record, give a record of the gospel that makes his reconciliation possible. Isn't that good? That's just, just different layers there. Uh, we, we indeed see that Mark rejoins Paul in the work of the ministry. In another verse, Paul speaks fondly of Mark while in prison. 
and we get this verse in Colossians 4.10. Colossians 4.10. Paul says, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. We have already received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Welcome him. Welcome him. After Mark left on mission and after the debate, Paul did not want to welcome him. Get out of here, kid. Go back home. But because of Jesus, he now does. He now does. And that is a picture of the gospel. This grace exists because the suffering servant took our record of debt, Paul's record of debt, Mark's record of debt, and our record of debt, debt on himself to the point of dying on the cross. And this is what the gospel of Jesus can do if we apply this. So let me pray. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you for the testimony we see outside the book of Mark, outside the gospel of Mark, and inside the gospel of Mark, of your grace and your love and your mercy, your patience with sinners who are selfish. Lord, help us to walk with you. Help us to understand more of what you've done and appreciate what you've done as a suffering servant who came and died. We thank you for accomplishing salvation, a salvation that we could not do ourselves. We thank you that you've made it by grace through faith in you. We thank you that you're sufficient. Help us to hear you, to listen to you, and to put you as the centerpiece of our lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.